0: All right, that's exciting. Uh, My name is Todd Berkey, for those of you who I haven't had a chance to to meet. I'm one of the pastors here at Grace, and uh, I work typically with our young adult ministry named Junction. And uh, man, it's just my honor and privilege to be here as we continue during uh, this this Proverbs series. Now, I'm going to make an observation here, and it simply goes like this. None of us looks like we did a few years ago or a decade ago, or longer, and so uh, I have just really quick, I want to share with you what I look like as a teenager, so just step back in time with me here, here we are, and we're going to do a little inductive Bible study, but inductive photo study, right, so observe, interpret, and apply, so let's just make a few observations, the first thing that people are all looking at is like, yes, I had hair, I know that's the first thing you can see right up here. Not just any hair, I had a mullet, you know, business in the front, party in the back. Um, apparently, it's coming back. My kids tell me, which I don't understand why, but there it is. Uh, went to a place called the Main tamers to keep that up all throughout high school. That was great. Uh, the other thing you're going to notice here is that I'm playing tennis. That's great. Your observation skills are great. I've got a western forehand grip. My eye is on the ball. That's amazing. And the third thing I think you would see is, man, it's black and white, and it's a little grainy. It's because it came from the paper. And uh, tennis was just a huge part of my life growing up, and uh, I happened to excel at that. The Lord just allowed me to do that. And when I'm thinking about this is I was living in Iowa at the time, and I got this invite. The United States Tennis Association was hosting an elite training camp, for 20 players within a five-state area of guys and girls, junior players, gather together, and you got to go to this elite training led by Vic Braden. And you're like, who is Vic Braden? If you were a tennis player in the 70s, 80s, 90s, and even early 2000s, he is a legend. He helped even get the professional circuit started. He coached many professional players. He was a coach of coaches. Coaches would go and, like, teach us how to teach he was the guru. If you ever watched a Grand Slam tournament on TV during that time, it would always break away for a teaching moment with Vic Braden. He'd teach you how to hit a drop shot, how to properly hit a lob, an overhead strategy. It was phenomenal. Pre-internet, you had to get your information through, like, magazines. Uh, every tennis player got tennis magazine, and he always had multiple pages in there written about how to hit the perfect dink shot, how to, you know, position your feet for a forehand. He was, he was a living legend, And I was one of the 20 players that was invited for this this moment, this weekend of up-and-coming junior talent with Vic Braden. This guy knows his stuff. He even had a a training facility for potential junior players that they think are going to go to the pros, that they would be invited to come and live, study, and grow as a player there. And so I don't know about you. When the invitation came, uh, I don't always handle pressure really well. I need to like feel the room first. And so, like, I'm just oh, Vic Braden. Vic Braden showed up in Kansas City with all the other players there. I'm like Vic Braden. Vic Braden. And here comes Vic Braden. I'm Like Vic Braden. And so we're, we're we're warming up. We're hitting, and we're going through these different drills. I'm like, he's feeding Vic Braden is feeding me tennis balls to hit, and he's telling me a few things. And then I remember this very, just like it was yesterday. We're now moving on to hitting serves, and so I line up, hit my serve, and I go ahead and I hit one, I go up, and hit another one, and then behind me is the voice of Vic Brayden. And he says, young man, me? Yeah, what's your name? My name is Todd. Oh, Todd, hey, man, your serve is looking pretty good, but here's the deal. If you'll move your ball toss two inches, just two inches to the right, you're going to pick up another five to ten miles an hour on your serve. And it's all because right now where you're throwing it, your body is not designed to do this with a serve. It's designed to be like a throwing motion. So just move it from here to here. You just move two inches, and you're going to pick it up. You don't have to change your grip. You don't have to change your speed. Like, just try it. It's Vic Braden telling me to do this, and so what do I do? I'm like, okay, two inches to the side, and boom, greater pop on that. I'm like, this is exciting. It was, it was simple. It was just an explanation, and like to come back to the design of your body, that's why this works. And you're like, why are you telling me about Vic Braden? Well, Proverbs is kind of like hanging out with Vic Braden. <laughs> Except for it's Solomon, the wisest of all, who is telling you this is how the world was designed to work. This is how you are designed to work. And so many times people go, Proverbs is all about skillful living, which it is. Great words of wisdom, which it is, but when I think of Proverbs, I really, I think about this. I think it's really an invitation to practically live in step with our design. A lot of, there's a lot of information that's just like two inches, just two inches to the right to be in step with our design because when we live in step with our design, that is where life really becomes Exciting. Now we know that there's a design. Solomon actually tells us that in uh, Proverbs chapter 3:19, by wisdom the Lord laid the foundation of the earth and he established the heavens by understanding. It wasn't just random. He has a specific purpose, a specific desire. There's a way that it was designed to work. But as you and I know, Genesis 3 happened. When creation, when humanity said, "No. You tell us it works this way? No." We're going to go our own way. We're going to be about our name. We're going to run after our things. And that the Bible simply calls sin. It's just choosing to go our own way. And the impact of that is it just ruined everything. It broke everything. So there was, there's a design. And his design is really pretty fascinating when, when you look at these things. His design as a whole was like, okay, life centers around God with an eternal perspective. God and eternity. This is how it's designed. What we said when we broke it, we said, no, 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 no. Life is about us and about now. And so you have these two competing worlds that are sitting there, and Solomon, time and time again, is going to sit there and say, no, no, let me invite you back into how things work. Even if it's broken, it still functions best when we live in step with our design. We see this lived out. Easy example. We are designed, for example, to be in community. And if you were to to look at the effects of isolation, it's horrible. So even the broken world says, man, yeah, you need people around you. They can't explain why necessarily, but it's because we were designed, a three-in-one God designed us to be in community. And so even the broken world goes, yes, there's wisdom back in what he has said to live in step with your design. And so... With that, when I think about Proverbs being these practical ways to live in our design, it makes me think of this one question, what is our design? What's your purpose? Why are you here? What's the meaning of life? And I think it's really cool, so we're all on the same page, that God actually answers that question. In Genesis chapter 1 verse 27, after he's created the the whole stage, all these things he's put together, then he's creating humanity. And what does he say? God created humankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created the male and female. He created them. What is our purpose? It is to image God. Now, that's great, Time. Do you see the beauty and the freedom of that? So many young adults that I will work with in youth when I did youth ministry, they'll sit there and say, I'm just trying to figure out what's the purpose of my life? Am I supposed to be a mechanical engineer or am I supposed to be a mechanic? Am I supposed to be uh, take job A or job B? Like they're, They're thinking that their purpose is tied up in what they do. And they're like, no, no, your purpose is to image God and you can do that as a mechanical engineer. You can do it as a missionary. You can do it as a mechanic. You can do it as a husband, as a wife, as a single person. Like There's never a place that you can go that you can't image God. So you are empowered, and I am empowered to live in purpose everywhere we go, whether we're at a job or we're at the gym, whether with our friends or around strangers, whether we're in public or we're alone. We can always live on purpose to image him. And how do we image him? Well, we've got to get to know him. Genesis chapter 3, right? God comes walking in the garden like he would normally do, looking for Adam and Eve, because they would hang out together, learn about who God is, and then they had an arena to image God in. To live as he lives, to speak as he speaks, to act as he acts, to respond as he responds. Isn't that cool? God's will for your life is to image him. And Proverbs gives us that practical way to image God. And just just so we're on the same page, isn't that what Jesus did? I mean, if you want a fascinating study, uh, Dive in John sometime and just look at the number of times that he says something like this. In John 5, 19, he says, truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of himself unless it's something he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, these things the son also does in the same way. Right? He's saying... I'm not doing anything on my own, I am looking in what I see from him, I am imaging out here to the world. He says that in, in 519 and 530 and 638 and 826 and 828, and you could go on and on and on and on and on throughout the book of John and see that Jesus is continually saying, everything I do, I'm looking back to the Father and I am radiating who he is, I am imaging who he is. As a matter of fact, in John 14, um, He's having a conversation, and, and Philip says, hey, 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 you're saying some hard things here. Jesus, just, just show us the Father. <laughs> Can we, just show us the Father. And Jesus just stops, and he's like, um, have I been with you for so long, and yet you've not come to know me, Philip? The one who has seen me has seen the Father. Hebrews chapter one verse three. He Jesus is the exact representation of God's nature. And then you move into Second Corinthians 3:18, and in Romans 8, we realize that we, as believers, are invited into that same thing, to return to our design, to image Him. Second Corinthians 3:18, we are all being transformed into this same image, from glory to glory. Romans eight we're, we're told that we've been predetermined, we respond to Christ, that we're going to be transformed into his son's image. We are here to image God. And why in the world, in a series on Proverbs, am I spending this much time to explain, like, why are we here? What's our purpose? It's because we have to understand that. We have to know Why? Why would we even bother listening to anything that Proverbs has to say if we don't understand the whole reason that we are here is to image him? And each of these Proverbs is an opportunity to return to our design. They're all, move two inches to the right, opportunities for us to better image God. So this morning, this morning we're going to talk about, again, practically a way to live in step with our design, but this morning we're going to talk, the topic is Generosity. And what I'm going to say about generosity, I just want to, like, just hit pause for a moment. Because for me, uh, when I saw, hey, Todd, we'd like you to teach on generosity, I kind of went, whoa. Because church hurt is kind of, it's been a real thing for many, many years. Uh, but for, for me, there were many times growing up what I heard when it would come to messages on generosity was simply this. You need to prove your love to God by giving more money. And if, you, and if you don't, then I don't think you really, really love God. And like, I just felt like every time generosity came up, it was, it was a guilt trip for me to try to move me to give some things. And, and that's not at all what generosity is. And so if, if that's been your experience, I'm sorry. That's not what you're going to hear today at all. But I know that's a, just a, a challenging thing. So I just want to address that before I begin. And I want to give you this disclaimer here, if you will. That you need to know this, I need to be reminded of this, we all need to be reminded of this. It's simply this: that no amount of money, time or volunteering or generosity will ever make God love you more. Do you know that? No amount of money that you give, no amount of volunteering that you, that you do, none of, no matter how generous you are, God is not going to love you more because we are fully loved already. So we can just relax and let God's word say what he wants to say about generosity, knowing that our position is stable. Because the reality is, if we've relied on God to fix our brokenness, because everything is broken. We were broken. We were sitting there saying, it is all about me, and it's all about now and my needs. And we realized how empty that is. That None of it satisfies. And that's what leads us to go, like, what the heck am I supposed to do? That drives us to the cross. Where Jesus says, Man, you are broken, and the only fix for that is not giving me more money, not giving me more time or more of your talent. It's by simply believing in the grace of God. It, it, we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And that is it. And that is great news. If you've never heard that, if you spent your whole life in church and all you've been doing is trying to live better to impress Him, it, it doesn't work. God's grace is what saves us and what holds us, and that is worth celebrating massively. So we're stepping into this, don't forget God's generosity. Grace in its very nature is incredibly generous, not asking for and demanding anything in return. It is Christ who holds us, not our performance. So with that longer intro, we are designed, we have a purpose to image God, no amount of increase in generosity is going to make him love us more. We're going to dive into this topic. We're going to be in Proverbs chapter 11, verses 23 to 27. And as you turn there, Proverbs 11, 23 to 27, we're going to make three stops. We're going to simply look at what is generosity, what is the impact of being generous on us and others, and what obstacles are there to generosity. Now, you might already be going, Todd, listen. <laughs> your intro is really long. I just want you to know I'm, I'm keeping an eye on the clock. We're going to spend most of our time on the what, and we'll get to the impact and obstacles very, very quickly. So we can just relax for a moment. I'm not going to ask you to be extra generous in giving me the next five hours of your life. It's okay. We'll get through this, but let's read together Proverbs chapter 11, verses 23 to 27. The desire of the righteous is only good. But the expectation of the wicked is wrath. There is one who scatters and yet increases all the more. And there is one who withholds what is justly due and yet it results only in poverty. A generous person will be prosperous and one who gives others plenty of water will himself be given plenty. One who withholds grain, the people will curse him. But blessing will be on the head of him who sells it. One who diligently seeks good, seeks favor but one who seeks evil evil will come to him that's proverbs chapter 11 verses 23 to 27 and one of the things that i love about proverbs they make it really easy kind of like vic braden right there's always like which of these two options do you want to be do you want to be the righteous or the wicked do you want to be the wise or the fool, you know, like it, they make it really easy. Like I think I know the right answer It's like th- this is where I'm supposed to go. And so we're tracking two pathways here: righteous and wicked as we go through. So it's really easy. Proverbs typically are easy to understand. This one it would be the righteous are generous and grow. If I had to sum it up, I'd be right. The righteous people are generous and they grow. Wicked people hoard and hurt. Righteous are generous and they grow. The wicked, they hoard, and they hurt. So with that, let's dive into what exactly is generosity, just so we're on the same page. We see this here in 1125, that it's both an attitude and an action. A generous person will prosper. Let me just stop there. made it blue. A generous person. Now, the word person in Hebrew actually would be translated as soul. And a lot of times if we hear soul, we think, oh, that's the space where the Lord is going to come in and that that seems empty and he will fill. We think more that's a Greek word uh, using of soul. The Hebrew side of this is this is all desire, like your baseline of how you view the world uh, around you. It's your passions, based appetites, this inside attitude. Generosity then is not what they're doing. This is saying the generous. Soul, the person who's like, I just desire generosity, I long for generosity, is what I am. It's an attitude of that. It's a little bit like this I love movies in general. I um, saw Top Gun way back, game changer in my life, right? And then they come out with Top Gun Maverick. I'm like, wait, what? And there's this line in there where they're asking their, Tom Cruise's character, like, hey, why are you still a pilot? You should be all these things, not just this. And he's like, it's kind of hard to explain. It's not what I do. Being a pilot isn't what I do. It's who I am. It's not what I do. It's who I am. And that's exactly what's going on here. The generous I am person, it's not what he does. It's like, this is, my, this is what I'm created for. I am created to be generous. That's the attitude of the righteous. So there's an attitude here, but it's also action. The righteous person, a generous person will be prosperous. The one who gives others plenty of water will himself be given plenty. Gives, they actually follow through. So it's both an attitude and it's an action. And you can't have one without the other and really be generous, right? In in James, he talks about if you just have like, oh, I just feel, I just have the attitude, like that's just really bad and somebody should do something about that, like I'm generous. What does he say? Like somebody comes to you and they're like, man, they're cold. Like, oh, go be warm and go be fed, but you don't do anything, Great, you had the attitude, but no action. That's not what living generosity out is. And then in Matthew, right, Matthew 15, he says, man, these people, they honor me with their lips. They say the right thing, but their hearts are far from me. Or as he says in in Malachi or Malachi, the Italian prophet, the last book of the Old Testament, uh, God is leaning into them a little bit, and and he says this, man, you guys say how tiresome it is to keep your commands. (laughs) Like, we're going through the motions. We're doing it. You should be happy. And he's like, "No, because it's an attitude and an action," which makes me ask this question: How in the world are you supposed to stir up these affections? <laughs> like, great. Am I, is is the action point here? Like, just go, go. Really, just try to really want to be more generous. Just go do that. Like, that's, that's frustrating for me. And I think the beauty of scripture is it's actually given us the direction of how those affections get stirred in 11.23. The desire of the righteous is only good. The righteous, the moral, the innocent, who are living in step with with God's design. Desire, that's the attitude, the disposition, but it's singular, only. It's like, this is it. I'm choosing this is what matters most, and what matters most is what is good, which you're like, okay, well, what is good Jesus was kind of faced with that, wasn't he, in Luke chapter um, 18, when a rich young ruler, the man who had everything, comes sprinting up to Jesus, falls down, and says, good teacher, what must I do to be saved? I've got everything that the world says I should have, and here I am, and I know it's nothing. Good teacher, what should I do to be saved? And, and what is Jesus' response? why do you call me good? Nobody is good but God alone. Another way to state the first part of this, the desire of the righteous is only good, would simply be this, the righteous long to image God. They've said, this is the direction, I'm I'm choosing to to live in step with whatever God says, because when we choose to say, I am trusting this, our emotions, uh, our affections change. It's kind of like my wife, Erin, she's not here, but uh, we met online. And so when I first read about Aaron, I was like, oh. And then I saw pictures of Aaron. I was like, oh. And I began to talk to Aaron. I'm like, wow. Are you kidding me? Here is somebody who loves God incredibly well, who loves others incredibly well. And by hanging out with her, it makes me want to do those things more. And so as I got to know Erin, something incredible happened. As, as, as I got to know her, as I then moved here and married her, and in a time together, something crazy has happened. As I have chosen to pursue her, as I chose to be invested with her, and chose to like, share with her my life and, and, and be curious about her life, my affections have changed I love a whole different group of people that I didn't even know existed before. There are places that are incredibly special to me that I've never really had any encounter whatsoever because I've gotten to know her. Her affections become my affections. She has this family, these parents and cousins who who are incredible people that I knew nothing about until I spent time with her. And I'm like, not only are they incredible people and they've marked your life, something is weird. These people I didn't even know existed, who I would have just passed by, I now have a deep love for, a deep longing to walk well with them. And these places that you talk about, Aaron, that, that have marked your life, all of a sudden I have this affection of like, I can't wait to go to Laity Lodge and pick up my kid because that was a place that, that the Lord used in Aaron's life in a massive way. I was never a camper, I was never a counselor, it's just a place, but as I go there over the last 10 years, every time, I'm like, my affections are stirred towards this place. So how do we stir our affection? The righteous say, God, I'm in. I believe, I'm trusting that you actually have the way of life. Not over here. You alone have the words of life. And so I am directing my efforts and energies to come here and just know you. And I'm going to trust you. I'm going to ask you for wisdom. And when you speak, I'm not going to question it. I'm going to say, okay. And when that happens, our affections can't help but change. Things just begin to, to matter more. His views become our views. And the wicked, though, but the expectation of the wicked is wrath. And expectation that hope their desire is wrath, the idea of, like, I am going to take what I want from you because that's what I'm going to do. It's all about me, myself, and I, and my desire is what is best for me and now. And if we set our desires on that, we become very self-focused and much less generous. So how do we stir those affections? We choose what we're pursuing. Now, the other thing that we're going to see here is that not only is generosity a thing that deals with our attitude and our actions, but it's also one of abundance. There is one who scatters, and let's just stop at that word scatters. That word scatter, it means to throw widely, loosely, freely there's, there's not a hint of caution. Think about this. Think about uh, in the New Testament, Matthew chapter 13, you've got the parable of the sower, right? And so many of us with the parable of the sower, we're like, well, there's four soils that it's going to land on. There's the path, there's the rocks, there's the thorn, and there's the good soil. And that's all true. And, and that's awesome. And then we debate, like, who of those people who would actually be saved as a positive response to, to the word? And so people argue over that. Great, fine, we can have that conversation. But here's the thing that I hope you've never missed with that parable. Do you see how generous the sower is? Do you see he's just taking the seed and just throwing it? He doesn't care if it's on on the hard path. He doesn't care if it's rocky places, a thorn, or the good soil. He's not stingy. He's like, it's here. There's enough for everybody. There's there's abundance. that's just being thrown out. He's scattering greatly. He's not going, let's see, okay, this is good soil, so you can have a seed, because I don't have enough over here. I might have a little leftover, so thorn. No, he's scattering. There's not caution. There's just like, it's open for all. So keep that in mind when you think of that word scatter. But here's the interesting thing that I find with this word is it's never used in Hebrew attached to seed. Never. So used nine other times in the Old Testament. Uh, some of those times it's dealing with uh, the nation of Israel. They were disobedient and said, no, God. And so he scatters them widely to the nations around them. Other times, the enemy that would come towards Israel and he would provide victory for them, he would scatter the enemy's bones wherever. Another time it's used, it's used of Israel and their immorality, that they're like, we'll chase anything other than the Lord. None of those tie-ins really fit with this, right? But there is one that ties in beautifully. It's in Psalm chapter 112, verse nine. And Psalm 112 is all about Somebody whose sole desire is to honor the Lord. It's really a beautiful psalm. You begin to learn both the impact, but you also see what are some of the characteristics of honoring the Lord. You you notice that they're gracious, they're compassionate, they're righteous in, in verse four, and they're steadfast. They're all in in verse seven. And then you come to 112, verse nine, and you read this. He, the one who honors the Lord, has given freely to the poor. He has scattered To the poor. And we begin to have that understanding okay, well, this is just widely throwing without cause for concern, but here's a, it's directed towards a person, and there's abundance that comes with it. Now, that wouldn't just mean a a poor person that you might need food. You need food, here's food. You need clothing, here's clothing. You need shelter, here's shelter. You're alone and isolated, and everybody thinks that you're a curse. I will come and sit with you. And you begin to see that generosity is so much more than money. You begin to see that it's not just how you're investing financially, but it's your time. It's your emotional energy, that that you're just being generous with all of it. I think this is truly, truly... Beautiful, because you see, okay, that's what the righteous do, but then what about the wicked? Oh, they withhold what is justly due. Withhold, it simply means to hold back, right? And justly due is just whatever is correct and honest. And so you're left with, in most of Proverbs, no gray area. Do your affections line up with the wicked or the righteous? There's no like, middle gray area. And I think this is one of the beautiful things. I'm mean, a visual learner, but you see when is generosity actually viewed as generosity? It's when the baseline of what is right and accurate is done. That's considered generous and then anything beyond that. But withholding what is, what is right and correct, that's where stinginess is. So, Let me just give you a quick example of this. Let's say that a friend of mine needs to go to Colorado for a family emergency, and their transportation is just not reliable. It's just not, not going to get them there. And so I'm aware of that need. I've just heard Todd talk about generosity. It's not just financially, you know, and so I'm like, well, you know what? The Lord begins to stir my heart, like, I have a reliable transportation. They can get them there. I literally live a mile and a half from work. I could bike here. That's not a problem whatsoever. Uh, and my wife and I work at the same place. We could just carpool together. It'd be fun. Like, hey, friend, you can use my car. To drive out to Colorado, to see your family. come get it on the 11th. They show up on the 11th, me being stingy would be like, "Yeah, no, you can't have the key. <laughs> I know I told you I would, but I'm, I'm going to go back on my word here. that would be being, being stingy, but me being generous would say, "Here are the keys. Here they are. I'm honoring what I said I would do. That would be generous. But that's just like the starting point, doing the right thing at that moment, what I said I would do. Imagine this. Generosity can continue to grow and grow and grow. What if I said, man, you know what? I want them to ride it like have the best ride possible. So I'm going to make sure I've got the oil changed, make sure the tires are set for it. I'm going to wash the car. I'm going to clean out all the stuff that's in there. I'm going to go ahead and load it up with bottles of water because they're probably going to get thirsty as they go. And so they, they come to get it and it's clean. I don't have to tell them what I've done. It's just it's clean and there it is. And then I just happened to mention, I said, hey, listen, I know that the fastest way to get there, I just happened to look it up. It's a lot of toll roads and I've got a toll tag and it is fully charged and I want you to use it. Take the toll roads. That's what I want you to do. When I said use my vehicle, I want you to use all of it. So take Take the toll card and, and just go. And oh, by the way, I figured you'd probably get hungry on the way. And so what, I didn't know what you like. So I went ahead and got several gift cards. Chick-fil-A, of course, because I'm a pastor and we all know that that's where you're supposed to go. right? But I've given you other food gift cards. They're in there. I want you to use them. And then the cost of gas, I, I know it's expensive these days. So I've loaded up some gas cards for you as well. So you can stop and just provide it for you in that way as well. I just I want you to go. Just go and enjoy these things. That, too, is generous. Isn't it gracious of God and beautiful of God to say, just giving the car, honoring what I said, generous, and doing all these other things, he says, generous, we're called to generosity. So it starts with the, with the least we could do, and it grows from there. It starts with what's fair and goes on from there. It's, it's really a beautiful, beautiful thing. And so all three of those tied together, what is generosity? It's an attitude and action of abundant help towards others. Missing them, we're not generous. And it's this invitation to image God who is generous. I mean, I don't don't know, have have you read about Jesus' miracles ever? Like, there's a one who is paralyzed and he comes up and he says, you know, right leg is healed. Left leg, you can limp. That should be good enough. Come on. Oh, you're blind? Let's go right eye this time. Oh, you're a leper, I'll cleanse the parts that people can see, but not the rest. what do you see? Full healing, skin restored like a newborn infant. What do you see when he feeds the 5,000? They all ate and they were satisfied and there were baskets left over. His first miracle, water to wine, was just kind of eh, it was the best. We have a God who is incredibly, incredibly generous. And we were to image him. This is an opportunity to move our lives two inches to better image him, to live in step with our design. Now, I'm gonna move quickly through these last two points. I told you I would, and I'm gonna honor, I'm gonna be generous. What's the impact of this, both on us and others? And from a worldly way of looking, if you were to sit there and say, okay, so I scatter, I just scatter, of course. My resources are just going to be depleted. That's what a normal person would think. If you're just giving away, there's depletion. And if you're one who is gathering and hoarding, hoarding there should be a, it's not even a word, but we'll just say it is, who hoards, that uh, you should have gain. And he says, the total opposite. Right? Those who give away, there's more. Those who hoard have less, they hurt. And I want to just pause for a second because Proverbs, remember, are principles, they are not promises. And it's important to know because he's going to say those who give, more is coming. And what he's not saying, because we live in a broken world that operates in a broken way, what I am not saying and what I don't believe he is saying is that if you write a check right now for $100 to our church, tomorrow you're going to have 110 in your account. I'm not saying that, and neither is the text. But he is saying there's going to be an increase. These are principles, they're not promises, so let's look and see what he actually does say. Blessed, a generous person will be prosperous. Can we just stop there for a brief moment? That word prosperous means fat, fattened. And we're like, there are like 13 gems within a walking distance from here. We are a people who don't want that. But in ancient Near East, where food was scarce, if you saw somebody who was fat, they had an abundant supply of food. They had shelter. They had safety. They weren't having to fight for things. This was huge. They were blessed. A generous person will be fattened, and one who gives others plenty of water literally means drench. Those who drench, not mist, but drench, will himself be Given plenty, that we're given plenty is soaked. Hosea chapter six, verse three talks about it. Like, hey, if we return to the Lord as we wait for him, he's gonna show up like the spring rains that soak the ground. That just They come in and they cause this incredible growth. That is the response, the impact of being generous. There's probably, again, two things that are going on here. One of them is, remember, the desire, pursue the Lord, the desire is to be generous. And now when I see that desire being acted on, I'm like, wow. I received some benefit. Even the broken world is confused by this. I was doing some studies, just looking at surveys. In 2021, there was a study done on very generous people versus very stingy people. And what they, de- they defined, like what makes a generous person, and it wasn't all about money. They had to answer questions like, do you give directions when people ask for directions? Do you uh, offer to walk your neighbor's dog when they've hit a hard time or bring them food? Do you donate your clothing to charity? Like, they, they, the, the bar wasn't necessarily super high. And so you have the generous people, who, very generous people who are saying yes to those things. And so the very stingy, do you give directions? Nah, don't know. Can't be interrupted. Like, so that, that's their baseline. It's not just a monetary thing. But what the study found was that uh, people who were very generous, they were two times more likely to be satisfied with life. They were three times more likely to say that their life had meaning. They were happier with their jobs. They were happier with their family. They were happier with their possessions. And they had more close friends And the people were a little confused, like, how can that be? You're giving all these things away. You're spending all this time looking at others and not yourself. Like, well, I don't understand. 2014, there was a stinginess survey done. Crazy. Uh, like, who would do that? But they did a stinginess survey, and what they found was the people who were being stingy, that they had increased stress. And those who were gen- uh, genuine, genuine, generous, thank you, their stress levels were lower. 2015, in British Columbia, they did a, a blood pressure study. They were like, okay, we have these people who are in. We're going to give half the people $40 a week, and they have $40 a week for 10 or 15 weeks. I forget. It's, but it's a longer dura- duration. Every week, you have to spend that $40 on one purchase for yourself. Bring us a receipt to show that you actually did that. Other group here, you have $40 a week for the next 10 to 15 weeks. You have to do one purchase, $40, and it has to be for somebody else. And we're going to measure, we're going to hook you up and we're going to measure your blood pressure. And it was interesting because they came back and it said, the people over here who bought for themselves, there was no impact whatsoever with their health or their blood pressure. But those over here who actually were generous and gave away, uh, their blood pressure was lowered and by the amount was based on how well they knew the individual that they were giving to it's interesting, and they're, they're sitting there going, "We don't really understand how this all works." The Lord has told us we are designed to be generous, and so even in a broken world, when we begin to operate two inches to the right by being generous, it has beautiful impacts on our life. The other interesting thing, just kind of a side note for you, all the studies that came out. They said these two things, which I find are really fascinating. They said, "If you come into the idea of being generous only to get the benefits." You don't get the benefits. It just doesn't happen. We don't know why. But if you come in trying to manipulate the system, us and now, I'm only doing this so I can have this. This doesn't happen. And the other thing they said is, if you did just did one act with generosity, it doesn't really have any impact. It's when there's a consistent lifestyle. That's why it was forty dollars a week for many weeks. That's when they saw greater and greater and greater benefits. So it's, it's interesting that they're sitting there going, huh, when a person has a habit of living in a generous way, there are benefits, but we don't really understand. I and mean, again, we had the beauty of knowing we were made to image God, and God is an incredible, incredibly generous God. So when we live and step with our design, great things unfold. I think that's one of those things of being fat and soaked here, right? Um, and then the other one is... Well, just another quick story. My son Paxton, he graduated from high school uh, this spring, and I was just thinking, I was like, I just, I want, I want to bless him. I want to like, how do we have just a moment? And so I, I invited all of the men who have just spoken wisdom into his life uh, for a lunch, and because we couldn't find a dinner that was open, so we got, we did a lunch. So I reached out to all these different guys, and some could make it, some couldn't. Those who couldn't, had to have them write a letter or send it to me. And then we all went to just a nice place. He likes Casa de Brazil because he can eat. Like, it's crazy. The servers are like, you sure you want more? Oh, yeah, more. Can I have the whole skewer? And can you bring another skewer? I mean, he, he can eat. And so it's his favorite place with all of these men around. And I'm so excited for that day. Day comes, I'm like, I can't, w- I can't wait for him. It's gonna be so good for him. I mean, it's gonna cost me a lot of money because I'm picking up the tab for everybody else. And As I sat there, do you know what through my mind? Not nah, how much is it gonna cost me? Not that I it was a lot of work to do all this. It was like, man, my desire was just to bless him. And I sat back and I was like, my tank was so full of seeing these men encourage my son. Them being generous towards him. I'm like, wow. My desire for blessing for him turned around to actually bless me. So when we're generous, that desire to image God, and we see it satisfied, we're like, yeah it fills up our tank. I think in a non-broken world, uh, and we even see it now, when we, as believers, we come and, and we present uh, to the Lord, here's what's been done, and he rewards us for that, so there's gain that comes with it too. But it's not a guarantee here and now, because we're in a broken world, but for sure, that, that blessing that comes back. But what about the impact of the wicked? Well, the one who withholds grain, the people will curse. The idea, like, dude, He's selfish. But it also carries the idea of Exodus 22 and following where it's the, those who are defenseless calling out to their maker, asking them to stand in the gap and bring judgment on the wicked person. So this is both your reputation with people. They're not looking at you like you're cool, you're stingy, and asking God to bring down a curse. Now, the obstacles of generosity, and I will move so fast through here, greed. One who withholds grain, the people will curse. The word for grain here, it's not talking about extra stuff. It is wheat, it is barley, it is the necessities of life. And so the one that says, well, they need this, so I have it. It's in my storehouses. But if I hold it back, prices will go up, and I will have more. Because it's all about me, and it's all about my greed. Hurt, curse comes to them. The other obstacle is pride. It's interesting here, uh, one who diligently seeks good seeks favor, but one who seeks evil, evil will come to him. Seeks is used three times. It's not the same word ever uh, that's used there. There's three different uh, words. The first one there is uh, one who diligently seeks good. They're talking about the righteous. So the righteous who diligently seek, and it really is that idea of just determination. It doesn't matter what obstacles I face. This is my desire. I am seeking after this. Nothing will stop me. The second seek here, one who is determined for good, seeks is just begging, pleading for favor, for like approval almost, but coming around to like favor is just living in design. It's, it's your honor. And so if I were to, to, to turn that into the Todd Berkey translation, which will never come out, uh, it's simply this. righteous. The righteous are determined to pursue good and plead to see God's image displayed. But then the third seek is really interesting here. It's, it's the idea of before you ever do anything. It's making this careful search. It's this doing an investigation. You're inquiring, you're like, hmm, hmm. And evil is the opposite of good. Good kingdom, remember? God, eternity, evil, me, and now. Genesis chapter 3, man. What was the temptation? You will be like God. You'll know good and evil on your own. You'll have no need for him. You can operate in independence. So the one who's going like, hmm. How out of all of this do I end up elevating my name? It's all about me. The two obstacles we see in this passage to being generous, greed and pride. And hoarding ends up only hurting others and hurting self. Because the reality is self-sufficiency will never satisfy because it's always looking to lesser broken things to find security. And none of it does. We've covered a ton of ground a ton of ground. We, didn't have, we even missed the very first point, didn't we? We were reminded that Proverbs, it's an invitation to practically live in step with our design. A whole bunch of two inches to the right, two inches to the right. Generosity is an attitude and action of abundant help towards others. The impact, well, generosity grows. It grows us and it grows others. Fat and drenched and soaked. Hoarding hurts us and others. And the obstacles are greed and pride because they look to the broken things to to find security, which just is not there. Now, okay, that was great. The righteous are generous and they grow. The wicked, they hoard and hurt. Got it, Todd, that's awesome and amazing. I want to share with you one last little Story illustration, insight to my soul. Are there any gum chewers out there? You know, it doesn't, like, anybody like gum? Okay, great. This is a little observation into my life. When I have my pack of gum and there's one or two sticks left, this is how I eat gum. I fake a yawn and then I put it in my mouth and I don't chew it because then people are going to know that you have gum and they might ask you for it. So I just kind of like have it sit there for a bit. I, I like hoard when there's not much in the pack, I hoard. but when I have a new pack of gum I'm like, "Hey, you want a piece? Do you want a piece? you want a, you want a piece? You need two pieces here <laughs> like like when, when my pack is full i 'm generous all over the place and, and I share that story about gum to encourage us as followers of Jesus. God is an incredibly generous God. He did more than just trans for us from a place of doom and destruction to eventually someday life. No, he's given us life abundantly here and now. Uh, Peter tells us that he's given us everything needed for life and godliness. Everything that we need. Our pack is full. When we mess up and he lavishes forgiveness, it doesn't deplenish anything. There's constant like fullness of purpose, of hope, of peace, of love. Like Our pack is full. He has given us so very much. And So we of all people with these full gum packs of spiritual blessings should be the most generous because we can give love away. We can give forgiveness away. We can give our time away to invest in other people. We can give our talents away to serve others. We can be incredibly generous because we always have a full pack. The world around us does not. Do you know that? Do you know the bigness of what God has done for you? So my application for the week is not rocket science or anything like this. It's just, I, I want us to spend time celebrating his generosity in our lives. Maybe you just take a moment, you just begin to, to jot things down, like I've seen him do this. He's, he, he gave me his grace. I don't deserve to even be known by him, but he knows me and he loves me and he forgave me. He's, he's given me purpose to image him. I can, do, I can be a part of that anywhere I go. He's made that really pretty simple. He he's continually loves me. I, I mean, I don't know all the things that you're going to write down. He's provided probably in unexpected ways. Oh, there was that time that I just, I was lonely and isolated and all the people I thought were my friends, none showed up, but I got this weird call from somebody I haven't talked to in years. God was so generous. And as we begin to celebrate the incredible things that he has done, we realize our pack is full. And the second part is then we're just like, okay, God, you've done these great things. I'm simply available. I want to image you whatever that looks like. We are not called to meet everybody's need. We are called to meet somebody's need. And it's up to him to direct us. And so I trust him to do that. I trust him to use the resources he has entrusted to you to be a blessing, to be generous to the world around us, however he best sees fit. And that's the beauty of generosity. It's this awesome relationship. We're amazed by what he has done. And out of the overflow and the willingness, to says, it's all yours, Lord. Use me as you want. We just are available to image him pray. God, thank you for this day. I, I use a lot of words. I talk fast. I move around. I, I understand that, Lord, and I pray as, as this morning has unfolded that you've encouraged us. You've reminded us of us, of your incredible generosity towards us. I pray if there's anybody here who is like, man, I've been just existing all this time. I thought the church was always about just doing more and more and more and more, and it's left me empty. Father, I pray that your spirit would just move in such a mighty way to remind them and show them that you are generous you fix brokenness, not because of what they will do or could do, but simply because of what you have done? Would they find the freedom of simply just saying, thank you, Lord, in that moment you move in and there is new life? Father, this week, would we be mindful of the ways that you are incredibly generous towards us? Would we celebrate that? And then would we have hearts and minds that are simply available for you to nudge, however you would like to use us to display your generosity to the world around us as we look to image you. We love you. In Jesus' name.